Bact empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Bact to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to BACKT.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Earn more with your crypto on Kava. Kava is a fully integrated decentralized finance platform that puts the power of lending, borrowing, and trading in the hands of users. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry-leading yields at kava.io today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. It's an exciting Thursday morning. I'm energized. I'm ready for our guest on the other side of the mic, Adam Carson, Operating Partner and Crypto Investing Lead at Point72 Ventures, the venture investment firm, of course, affiliated with Steve Cohen's Point72. Adam, so great to have you on the show. You're looking good. Love the beard. <laughs> Very full. How's it going? It's going great. I'm excited to uh, be here and have this chat with you, Frank. Yeah, it's super interesting. Obviously, you guys have been investing more of your time and energy and capital into the crypto market. How have things been going for you guys? You guys are finally have planted a, a flag, so to speak, in this space and are looking to, I imagine, deploy even more. Yeah, I would say uh, we're just getting started in crypto. 2021 was our sort of breakout year for 0.72 ventures in the crypto space. We've made five investments so far, but from my perspective, uh, just the beginning and uh, looking forward to sort of uh, blowing out the entire uh, strategy into the next sort of few years and uh, continuing to get deeper into the space. So how did that transition happen? You joined the firm about two and a half years ago when you joined. I don't imagine crypto was part of the mandate. How did that mandate expand for you? Yeah, that's correct. I joined as part of the fintech team. So we're fintech focused investors and, and the team that I sit on pretty much does fintech only. Um, my background is in fintech and my partners as well. Something interesting to note about our approach in fintech was that we have a very network-based approach to investing. And so rather than meeting startups all day long, we actually kind of do the opposite. We meet with everyone else. So we meet with the banks and we meet with the direct-to-consumer fintechs and we meet with the asset managers and we meet with capital markets players and the lenders. And we try and understand where the world is headed and what problems exist and what needs to be solved. That's how we generally source our themes for where we invest. And then we go outbound and find solutions to those problems. And so when crypto sort of became a thing, and that, that's actually earlier this year, Steve came to us and said, I'm really interested in crypto and I'd like to start doing some investing and looking into it. We essentially ran the same exact playbook. We went out to our network. We went to the banks. We went to the fintechs. We went to 
the hedge funds and the capital markets players and the lenders. And we consistently heard that everyone was interested in crypto. Everybody in some ways was scrambling around crypto. I'm talking about the financial services incumbents now, right? Not the crypto native players. Yet no one knew exactly how they were going to tackle crypto. And what was clear was that very few of these companies were going to build everything themselves. They were all going to be using infrastructure players and vendors to support whatever they were doing, their crypto adoption, their crypto strategy. And that turned into our first theme. Our first theme became very evident, which is there is this crypto web free world. It's emerging. It's real. It's going to be a real asset class. And yet we live in a non-Web3 world. There's <laughs> everything else that we deal with. Every company, every financial services company doesn't have a crypto offering right now, and they all want one. And so we started investing in the bridges that essentially connect the incumbents to this crypto world. So that was sort of our first big theme. And it came directly out of the conversations that we had with our network and the same sort of approach that we used in fintech investing. Were you worried that, you know, maybe tapping into the minds of the banks might not necessarily put you at the at the forefront of what's happening in the space? I think if I relied on traditional financial services firms to tell me what was hot in the market in 2018, 2019, it'd be security tokens and bonds on the blockchain, which obviously nobody cares about really right now. It's growth is happening in the nascent corners of decentralized finance and you know firms like Uniswap, I don't think within a JP Morgan would have been thought of a year or two ago. Yeah, I agree. I worked at a bank for seven years and, and it's not necessarily on the bleeding edge, although there are people inside of these organizations who are sort of always looking forward. For us, it's about gathering the signals. And when you start hearing enough signals, we also need to be sort of making the bets ahead of where things are going to be, right? We're early stage venture investors. We're investing at the seed and series A level. And so you're right, maybe the companies we're investing in today aren't ready for the banks. Mm -hmm. But we also talk to the direct to consumer fintechs, which are much more tech forward, much more sort of leading edge and, and looking for those solutions. So it's not just the banks, it's accumulation of our entire network. And the signals we were getting were crypto is a priority. We need to figure it out and we're going to need partners to do so. And so that's that's really where we started investing, right? That's where our first few investments came from. We're not necessarily pure token Web3 investments, but investments that are bridging Web3 into the incumbent world. So you're having fun? <laughs> I don't think I've had as much fun in my career. Every day is new. As you know, the space is moving so fast. I think the, the most challenging thing for me was trying to keep you know one foot in, in fintech land because once you start doing crypto, it's fully encompassing. And I think it's hard to do crypto and anything else. Even inside of crypto, the world is so huge and you need to pick where you're going to play. I think it would be hard at this point even to be a generalist crypto investor, given you have metaverse and you have layer one and layer two and blockchain infrastructure, and then you have DeFi and financial services. It's such a huge space. Actually, that's what we did when we first set out in crypto is we laid out the entire world. We found, I think, 10 different- And you were like, oh, geez, I don't know if we should do this. Just <laughs> too much. Yeah. I mean, we both have a similarly difficult task, right? You're trying to find the most interesting, hottest companies to invest in. I'm trying to write about them. 
when I first set out, it was really just focusing on writing about exchanges and trading firms. And now, you know, I'm sometimes I, I wake up and I have to talk to a, a EDM DJ and it's like, what, what, what happened? I thought I was a fintech reporter. I, I imagine the experience has been similar to you. Do you think that every fintech firm has to be a crypto firm to an extent, or I mean, to take it a step further, every firm has to be a crypto firm to a certain extent. I think there are folks who might take that approach. You look at Square rebranding to Block and Facebook rebranding to Meta. It's touching more and more of uh, every corner of every industry. Certainly the next generation of financial services companies are likely to have a crypto angle to them, whether they are fintechs or banks or asset managers. But I would say your observation is correct that it's much bigger than financial services. In fact, my perspective is that this is the next generation of the internet. Now, that's going to take 10, 20 years to play out into maturity, just as Web 2 did. But if Web 1.0 was a read-only internet, if Web 2.0 was an, a read-write internet and the birth of web applications that you could interact with, Web 3.0 is a token-based, decentralized, ownership-based internet. And that's not just financial services. That's going to touch every industry, every company, every consumer experience and enterprise experience out there. And so, yeah, we're, we're at the early stages of, of this next shift, but it's pretty clear to me that the next evolution and iteration of the internet is going to be sort of a crypto token-based version of the internet. So how much of your focus and attention within maybe the fintech investment group has now shifted to crypto? Well, um, we are still sort of primary focus in fintech. We have a bunch of different themes that we're investing on there. And then I would say in some ways, like at this point, crypto is almost like the next theme inside of financial services. We do like to be smart money and we do like to be experts in the space we invest. And so that's why you haven't seen our team do any investments in NFTs or in metaverse or even in blockchain infrastructure. At this point, sort of the intersection of crypto and financial services is where we think that we have expertise. It's where we can help these companies. And so um, I'm spending certainly a lot of my time, I would say upwards of 80, 90 percent of my time on crypto. But um, I sit on the fintech team and sort of broadly speaking, it's just one of the different areas of, of um, the world that we're investing in right now. Point72 Ventures also, if you continue to expand, has a enterprise team that's investing in enterprise software and infrastructure and it has a deep tech ventures team that's uh, investing in deep tech and machine learning and AI as well. So it keeps getting sort of bigger. But uh I think that the crypto investment strategy, from my perspective, is one that'll certainly grow over the next few years. And I know that uh, I'm pretty excited about spending, again, like the majority of my time in this space. How do you elbow your way into some of these deals, right? I mean, over the past year, six months, some of the biggest names in the investing world have began deploying. KOTU, Tiger's really been ramping up, right? So you have the traditional guys and then also the Paradigms and Panteras. You get the point, right? There are a lot of people vying for space on the cap table. How do you elbow your way in? It's something that I ask 
every VC that comes on the show because it's hard. And, and, you know, everybody has their value proposition, but at a granular level, how do you make that pitch? I think that in some ways we're not really competing with a lot of the crypto native names that you just mentioned. If you're a startup founder and you want a crypto native venture firm, like 0.72 ventures is clearly not that at this point. But what we are is a crossover fund into crypto that has financial services and fintech experience and has a brand that represents more of the incumbent sort of financial services world. And so I believe that a lot of um, the founders that we've worked with have been excited about working with 0.72 because of our fintech knowledge and our financial services network and our approach to sort of working with our companies post-investment. Even having our brand on the cap table from a legitimacy perspective, uh, and so I think that that's really helped us sort of to win deals. But ultimately, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this from a lot of venture investors, it ends up being about the personal relationships that you develop with the founders through the investment process. And um, the ones that I've I've met, we've clicked with. Now, obviously, the brand has to resonate, and the value prop has to resonate, and um, you're right that there's a lot of money floating around in crypto and there's a lot of competition right now. But I think, you know, one of the things that we're really proud of here is that we do spend an exorbitant amount of time with our investments after we invest. We help them with business development through our network. We help them with go-to-market strategy. We help them with fundraising if they're an early stage company. And uh, our founders are generally, you know, super excited about about recommending us. We, we, we got like really high scores on our MPS. I'm not saying that that's the reason. I think that it's a combination of all three, right? It's the people, it's the brand and what that brand represents. And then lastly, it's just the actual work that we do with our companies and sort of that standing for itself as well as founders go out and do references. So if I'm a crypto firm and maybe I want to expand my services that, uh, in, a, in a way that might touch the more traditional finance world, you could help me do that via your your network that's established. I think that's exactly right. And I think that out of our five investments that we've made this year, four of them fit directly into that category of wanting a fintech investor that can help them bridge exactly what, what our theme is, bridge into the incumbent world, right? They see their growth over the next few years, not being with crypto native companies, but being with the incumbents uh, out there, whether those are fintechs or incumbent hedge funds or asset managers. And so they, they see 0.72 Ventures as uh, someone who can help bring them there. Valuations are looking really rich right now. I, I was talking about elbowing your way into a deal. If you don't get into a firm seed or Series A, just wait a few weeks in crypto and then they'll be doing their Series B at a, you know, 10x the the previous valuation. Do you think things are too rich right now when you look out in the world? And part of that might be driven by just these insane amount of capital, right? There's this inverse relationship where, and I want I want to get your thoughts on whether you think this is true. There is really a need for firms like a 0.72 to deploy and not so much a need for firms to seek investment, right? So there's a, there's a sort of switch in the demand there where the demand is. Typically, companies need capital to build out their business. Obviously, that's the case in some instances, but it seems more strongly the situation is that firms need to 
invest in some of these companies and then you get right those frothy valuations is that your view of the situation right now i think that that might be more true in the token investing space than in the sort of pure equity investing space at this point the token investing space and that's something that we haven't tackled yet but hope to tackle in the coming year has a lot of different dynamics to it where as you say i think there's less capital needed to get these companies off the ground. And um, if you don't get in early, there's less chances for investors to get in later because of the the notion of the sort of going from pre-launch to launch and then decentralization. Um, in the equity investing space, the valuations are high, but I, I think I have a little bit of a, a different take on it. And it comes from also watching what's going on in fintech as well, where valuations are also high. Mm. So why are valuations high in, in fintech and in crypto right now? They're eating a massive industry, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're continuing to disrupt. So so fintech right now is probably like 10, maybe 15% of the way through eating the incumbent financial services market cap, which is one of the largest market caps in the world, if you add it all up. And the opportunity is just still so massive over the next 10 years for just traditional fintech. Crypto, if you think about it, like what's the market cap for crypto, as we just discussed, it's the web. Mm -hmm. It's every industry, it's everything. And so I think that the valuations are sometimes high given traction. We honestly don't love to play in those situations, but lucky, luckily enough, there's enough situations and enough investment opportunities where we can find a company that is not looking to raise a $100 million seed round before they've launched a product and before they have any revenue. But I do think the dynamic that you're talking about it is very prevalent in the token investing space where there's generally just a lot of capital chasing, chasing uh, companies that don't need a lot of capital, per your point. Yeah, it's a very strange situation, but the space is growing really fast. Uh, I, I think when you tally up all of the unicorns, there's about 65, we, we counted 65 crypto unicorns. I mean, that's probably about one tenth or one eighth of all of the unicorns that are out there. Might need to up the ante on the word, maybe go to 5 billion because unicorn well, that's doesn't not including the 165 plus projects on coin market cap that have over a billion dollars of fully diluted market cap as well yeah. right that's probably yeah. the equity companies so i think just if you the equity companies the, the token projects that are over a billion dollars plus the the equity companies that are over a billion dollars now you have just a massive amount of value and it's all been created in the past five years like right it's it's pretty spectacular how fast it's grown. Um, of course, there's going to be ups and downs, and, and especially on those token projects, we can probably expect some retraces and a lot of those not to sustain their valuations. But on the equity side, there's real revenue. I think part of that, a, a lot of these companies and, and their revenue is coming from just spreads being extremely high on mm. trading volumes. If you can get a piece of if you can be touching, you know, crypto trading in any way, shape, you're going to be making a lot of money because the spreads are still so high compared to other asset classes. I think one, because of the immaturity of the asset class, 
And then two, just because of the risky nature of the asset class, those spreads are still high. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, 200 basis points for a retail trade down to 20 or 30 basis points for an institutional trade, there's a lot of margin. And, and if you look at the volumes, like there's a lot, of, a lot of revenue going around. And so a lot of those companies, you know, can stand behind their valuation because the revenues are there to support it. Yeah. And the spreads are even higher when trading on the different NFT marketplaces. So you see Coinbase and and others, uh, FTX, trying to crack into that to get even juicier margins than, than they have in pure crypto trading, which has been an interesting trend. Let's rewind the clock a bit and focus on the 0.72 journey into the space. So what what was sort of maybe the catalyst or trigger that changed Steve's mind and then obviously the team rally behind that? What was the origin there? Well, I'll start with, with my sort of change because I got into crypto first when I was back at JP Morgan and I was on the innovation and fintech team there. And we were always mm -hmm. looking for the next leading edge technologies. I actually went back and, and just looked at the first time that I bought Bitcoin. Unfortunately, it was only $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, but it was in June of 2013. So that was quite a while ago. But for me, it kind of went quiet for a while, especially inside of JP Morgan, where all of the energy shifted into these enterprise blockchain projects, right? And on the JP Morgan side of the house. And that just wasn't an area of interest for me. It was last summer when I started reading about SushiSwap and <laughs> Uni and Yam and all of these things. And I said, what is going on here? And I started to try and read about what was now like DeFi finally like emerging, DeFi summer. And I said like, wow, there's something different here. Previously, I saw Bitcoin and a lot of things trying to be Bitcoin. And now I'm seeing like, real applications being built on top of crypto, DeFi being one that I could really fundamentally understand. And then NFT world came with PopShot and some of those projects in late 2020, early 2021. And so I found myself spending nights and weekends just immersed fully in crypto. And of course, once you make your own personal investment in crypto, that's when you really start paying attention. So for me, that was, uh, you know, just about uh, over a year ago, last last Thanksgiving, when I sort of dove in headfirst. So, yeah, we were just, you know, my day job was fintech. My nights and weekends job was crypto. And um, I'm not ex sure exactly how Steve um, decided that crypto was going to be sort of a, a big area of interest for him. But, but one day we got word that Steve was sort of extremely excited. I don't want to put uh, words in his mouth and Steve can speak for himself about what got him excited about it. But I, I do know it's not just, you know, crypto trading. It is Web3. It is uh, blockchain technology and innovation and um, even the metaverse. And so we just got word that it was go time for crypto. And as the team looked around, knowing that I had been basically pulling two jobs for the past six months, they said, Adam, this is your shining moment. And uh, I was really excited to, to take it on. Um, it was definitely daunting, though, you know, in talking to people who had been in crypto for three, four, five years, you immediately feel not smart. <laughs> yeah. Having, right. Like having having just done it uh, nights and weekends for six months and now like making it my full time job. 
there was a really big and steep learning curve. And it took, I would say, I still feel maybe not smart when I talk to some people who have been in crypto for a long time, but now I've been in crypto long enough. So that's like one thing for, for the audience and for people listening is it's not too late to get into crypto. You are still early in the grand scheme of crypto and there's so much to learn. So that, that was really our, our journey. Um, and Steve has been doing a lot, right? Besides ventures, uh, the hedge fund, there's the Radical, some NFT and metaverse investing. So he has a lot of different investments going on right now. It, I think it shows that he really is bought into, you know, not this as a fad, but this as a, a long-term investment area and opportunity. And in conversations with, with Steve, it really is about the innovation and it's around sort of the next generation of the internet that we're building here, um, not just about a trade. So that's kind of the underpinning thesis that guides you as you invest, right? That it's going to touch all these different areas. Is there anything more to that thesis that you can unpack? Right now, our, as I said, our thesis is building bridges to this Web3 world. And, and we've identified three major areas where bridges need to be built. The first and where we've made most of those investments is financial services. So financial services incumbents need bridges to crypto. They need ways to custody. They need ways to trade. They need ways to offer it to their customers. And then that comes around with they need market data. They need trading technology. They need compliance software. So that that whole big space is is one that we've spent the most amount of time on. The second bridge that we've identified, which is still a little early, but we think is going to be important over the next five years, is essentially enterprise adoption of crypto and the bridges that need to be built for all of the incumbent enterprises. Think the Fortune 500, the Fortune 5000, down to the 5 million small businesses. Um, it could be putting crypto on treasury. It could be either receiving money from customers in crypto, right? Or paying employees in crypto could be accounting for crypto from an ERP or a tax perspective. We believe that there's like an entire world of enterprise crypto adoption that's going to be coming. And then the last bridge that we see is consumers. I think it was in the Coinbase earnings where they showed that chart of consumer crypto adoption versus the internet back in the day. And they basically said, we're at 1998 right now with 200 to 300 million people having adopted crypto. Well, how are we going to get from two or 300 million to two to 3 billion? Because we're going to get there. And I think that there's going to be bridges that need to be built for consumers, because as you probably know, it's really complicated right now. It's even for a technical person to start doing anything in DeFi, anything in NFTs, anything in understanding crypto, it's really complicated. And so um, that's where, you know, our if we break down our first big theme of building bridges, it's financial services need these, enterprises are going to need these bridges, and then consumers are going to need this sort of abstraction layer, I think, between the complexity of and the technology of crypto and what they want to do. And I think that that'll come in the form of both like, you know, better user experiences around wallets, but then also just like actually applications that people want to use. What You know, NFT gaming is a great example, right? People know gaming and now there's NFT gaming and that's just a really easy bridge into crypto for a lot of, for a lot of people. 
Back is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backbakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Are you ready to take your crypto earnings to the next level? Kava is a fully integrated decentralized finance platform that combines institutional-grade security and user-driven design. Lend, borrow, and trade your crypto all in one seamless experience. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry-leading reward APYs at kava.io today. I was trying to explain to my friend's mom yesterday. She called me saying that she spilt coffee on her seed phrase. I was like, don't want to do that. I'm I'm scared. About but that's where we're at. I mean, that's the level right? of adoption. The self-custody and the, the risks that someone takes on and, and the the easy ability to mess that up and sort of lose access to funds is, is actually scary. It's one of the reasons I haven't fully moved into a self-custody world is because I'm actually worried that I'm going to mess it up. And I think I have more trust in some of the centralized custodians than I do in myself yeah. for some of these things. I know that's probably not the right crypto native answer, but it's the truth that there's a lot of ways to mess it up and, and lose. But lose this individual, this individual headache or barrier to entry that you're describing it's relevant on the individual level, but it's also relevant to large firms and to financial services firms. You talked about your own individual journey playing on Uniswap and SushiSwap. And, you know, now there's PancakeSwap. And I was using CowSwap the other day. Every time you make a transaction, there's a there's a moo that happens, which is, <laughs> makes it just a little bit more fun. Um, not a show for CowSwap. I just think it's it's funny. They figured out a way to let you trade without gas fees. Uh, it's pretty interesting. You like convert your ETH to wrap ETH and that allows you to trade with minimal fees. But do you think that financial services firms, when they go through their journey, are going to be dabbling in the same way that you did? Will DEXs be something that large firms will be able to play in? Uh, I think there's so much regulatory uncertainty around some of these areas of crypto that from our network sort of calls that the incumbents who have existing non-crypto businesses are not yet there. They're not ready. Um, there's too much regulatory uncertainty for them to adopt some of the sort of more uncertain areas of crypto, uh, specifically around DeFi, right? Whether it is DEXs, where you don't know necessarily who the counterparty is and there's not a lot of KYC or AML or sanctions checking going on or whether it is these the lending pools in DeFi. We see a lot of um, crypto native folks in there, but not a lot of uh, incumbents in there. 
it's going to be a slow road for incumbent financial. And that's just because, you know, AML, KYC concerns on who the counterparties are on these protocols? Well, it's that, but I think even even more broader, it's just regulatory gray area where incumbents are not, they don't want to play, right? There's too much at risk in their existing business to do something silly over here in something that is more of an innovation or a, a lottery ticket or some, some playground is what, mm-hmm. what they see it. So um, you see a lot of tech forward companies sort of take that leap and and are doing more in crypto, but it's going to be slow for regulated financial institutions. They're going to start with Bitcoin custody, um, you know, maybe offering some approved, SEC approved products to their customers. E- even then they need partners to do it because they're not going to build all this out, right? Um, fintechs even, Right, right now, a lot of the the larger fintechs they're getting comfortable with offering buy, sell, hold, or crypto back, Bitcoin back rewards on their cards. But you don't see a lot of incumbent sort of scaled direct to consumer fintechs getting into DeFi and yield because that even for them that that's sort of gray. They have to stay on the right side of the line when it comes to sort of protecting their existing business. So I think it's going to be slow and, and we're going to need some regulatory uh, clarity around some of these areas before the large financial services or even the forward looking financial services companies start to play in that area. And there's also innovation going on around DeFi that is sort of, let's call it more compliant DeFi. So a lot of the lending pools are creating segregated lending pools. A lot of the DEXs are creating segregated DEXs where there is KYC and AML and sanctions checks and everything that you would expect if you're a licensed financial institution. When you think about the firm's own engagement with the DeFi world, a lot of firms obviously have tokens, may introduce tokens, are building at the protocol level. Does Point72 anticipate making any sort of token investments? And are they interested in building with companies at the protocol level? Or or is that outside of the scope? Um, to date, it's been outside of the scope. To date, we've been focused on equity investing. It's just we know that space really well. As we get deeper into crypto, inside of ventures at least, I, I hope that we will sort of evolve into doing more token investing. It's actually something that I'm thinking about and planning for right now is proposing like how we can do token investing. Because right now we don't have the infrastructure set up to be able to do that but it's clearly a big space and it's a big area of of crypto. And then in terms of the hedge fund side of the house, I know they're looking into a lot of different things, but uh, I'm not like close to exactly where they are and and what the latest purview is on things like DeFi. But it involves a whole different set of skills, right? You have to participate in governance. And that's something that doesn't really exist when you think about traditional equity deals and requires a whole set of new... I'm writing a list right now of the 20 ways in which token investing is different than equity investing. Their diligence is different, right? You're going to need to get in there into maybe doing smart contract audits and testing out the technology. We don't do so much of that right now when we invest in in fintechs. How you think about portfolio construction is different because oftentimes there's not consider future rounds where you have to follow on or get diluted, right? Once the token launches, the token launches, 
the total supply is capped. So there's different ways of thinking about portfolio construction. There's different operational and technology needs. You need to be able to custody these coins. You need to be able to move these coins. You need to be able to do that in a safe and secure way with key management and self-custody wallets or using third parties, right? So that you have multi-key signature. There is thinking about how you exit your investments. In, in equity land, you wait for you know either a secondary sale, an M&A, or an IPO. It's actually pretty simple. And <laughs> in token investing, you have the opportunity once your lockup is over to exit these investments either partially or fully at any time. And so there's just a long list of differences between equity investing and token investing. And that's one of the challenges, I think, for an equity investor to move into this space. Understanding tokenomics. That's like a whole world that probably takes a month or two to just really digest and get up to speed and understand all the different dynamics. And like when you do equity investing for a long time, you can smell things that don't seem right, whether it's terms or valuations or whatever it is. It, there's a whole new skill that needs to be built over on token investing of what smells right or how to smell that thing that might not be right. And so, yeah, it's a different world and um, it's totally new and it's also exciting. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of crypto native firms that have been doing it for years now, but there's also a lot of investors like us who are just, uh, you know, looking around and saying, this looks really interesting, uh, but we have a lot to learn. Someone like yourself can kind of sit between those two worlds and really better understand like how absurd some aspects of crypto are because you're not necessarily deep in the thick of it. When you look at that list, what is probably the most difficult to grasp or challenging aspect of, of token investing? You look down that list of 20 things. I think I will be able to answer better once I've gone through it a few times. But from the outside, it is, hey, there's a token deal. It's moving really quickly. Would you like to invest? We need to yeah. know by tomorrow. Yeah, they need to know by tomorrow. And sometimes, you know, you don't even really talk to these people. It's pretty nuts. So, yeah, do you, are you in? And like the way that we invest right now is we do market research. We come up with a theme. We... <laughs> We talk to a lot of people, we develop a thesis, we go find companies, we, we, we spend a lot of time diligencing them. We write, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 page memos, analyzing every aspect of the business. We go through multiple rounds of, of internal discussions and then approvals. And so, yeah, as I look at token investing and some of the things I hear about deals getting done over Telegram in 24 hours, I'm a little bit intimidated by how is that going to work given our existing process and the amount of actual rigor and diligence that goes into our existing investment process? Um, the five companies that we did invest in right now went through that rigor and that investing. Uh, I'm also happy to, to briefly touch on, on those if you're interested as well. Yeah. So how long of a process from start to finish does that typically look like? It's flexible. Like we can move fast when needed. Fast meaning like two or three weeks. Um, but <laughs> not two or three hours. No, not two or three hours. Typically, you know, it's it's multiple weeks from the time we first meet the company to the time that we issue a term sheet. And um, during that process, we're getting to know the company. We're getting to know the founders. They're getting to know us. And um, we look at these as really long term relationships. We're not just investing at the seed or the A. You know, for our companies that are performing, we want to invest all the way up through their life cycle. 
And so we want to work with founders that we get along with, um, businesses that we understand and we think that we can help. And that process of sort of, you know, whittling down the number of opportunities to the number of investments takes takes a little bit of time and it takes work. And that's part of our process. Um, you know, we've made in the fintech team probably 60 investments over the past five years. And uh, I think only only two or three of those have not worked out to date. So, you know, I think our diligence process is actually um, part of our key to success. What do you look for in a founder? I often speak with VCs and they they share that that old adage of, you know, you're not investing in companies, you're investing in people. What do you look for in the founders of the companies into which you invest? So I think for me, it's a combination of the founder and the business, but I get a sense of it in, in sort of the first 30 minutes, uh, that first initial call. It comes down to, does the founder have credibility in the space in which they're building? Do they know what they're talking about deeply? I think that's really key. The second thing is, are they tackling a important problem? Is it a interesting problem space? Is it, it is an interesting market? And then the third thing for me is, are they building a great customer experience? Like, are they maniacally focused on that? And that customer could mm. be an end consumer. It could be another business if they're a B2B or an infrastructure player. It could be a developer if they're an API platform. But within the first 30 minutes, if all three of those things click, which rarely do, then I am, I'm, I'm confident that the fourth piece of that, which is all of the financials and all of the business metrics and operational metrics and the CAC and the, and the you know, retention rate and the average sale value, all that can work itself out if you have a, a founder who really is an expert in the space, tackling a, an interesting problem and building a great solution. That, that's how I look at um, that. And I can usually figure that out in, in the first 30 minutes of meeting someone. What is the biggest mistake a founder can make in those 30 minutes? I think that there's, there's two pitfalls I commonly see. The first is the founder who you ask, like, can you introduce yourself? And 30 minutes later, they're still talking. Um, <laughs> so that, I've seen that happen multiple times where there's just like, and then, and then the meeting's over. And then the second is uh, a founder who knows how to balance the vision, the grand mm. vision with the steps to get there. And, and not sort of, um, not just be all vision. And I have this like 50 ideas that I want to do and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be great. So it's like balancing, like I have this grand vision and here's the step, here's the second step, here's the third step. Oftentimes I think founders get tripped up on, on being all over the place in that first meeting. We're probably nervous. I mean, it's an intimidating beard. <laughs> I'm scared asking you questions. I'm going to need to send you a new picture because I think the headshot that I have is from two years ago, uh, yeah. pre-COVID, where I didn't have the beard or the hair. So um, We've got to fix that. Maybe we can have one of our image guys edit it in. They're really good <laughs> with Photoshop. Um, so tell me a little bit about your plans going over the next six months, maybe. How many companies do you plan to invest in? What's the horizon look like? I think we're going to continue to invest along this theme of building bridges. That's the one that um, sort of fits directly into our current thesis. It, you know, we've done five of those so far and probably expect to do another five to 10 next year. And then I think the wild card is around token investing. You know, without actually trying, we've had a lot of inbounds. 
uh, from token investing opportunities. And as I said, we're working out right now um, all of the ways that we need to, to, to tweak our processes and our systems uh, in order to do that. And so if I, if I was hopeful that we would make a few token investments in 2022 and sort of enter into that world of not just investing in the bridge to Web3, but actually investing in Web3 in this new token world, I think that that would be really exciting. What about the metaverse? Do you anticipate making any bets there or maybe even buying land? You could buy land around around MySpace if you want. There's some, there's some open <laughs> parcels. Do you anticipate doing something in that space? I'm paying attention closely to the metaverse. I actually think the metaverse is bigger than just like the Second Life worlds where you can buy land. I think the metaverse consists of the NFT profile pictures and it consists of um, other NFT games and it consists of maybe even the metaverse is going to morph into what we call now or envision to be Web3, which is you call instead of an Uber, a decentralized ride sharing platform. So maybe metaverse isn't just this idea that you're an avatar walking around in some virtual world, but it is broader than that. As we look into that space, I have a feeling where we're going to want to invest is, is the infrastructure that's powering it. That's what we do so well in fintech. We're not trying to pick necessarily the next best direct to consumer fintech or neobank. When we see a big trend, we like to invest in the picks and shovels or the infrastructure that's powering that entire trend. And so as I look to play to earn gaming and metaverse and NFTs and all this, rather than trying to pick one of the winners in the direct-to-consumer game, we're going to look for the infrastructure that's powering all of them um, as big exposure to that trend. You got to talk to the guys at Alchemy then. It's like what they're all about. Um, yeah, we like infrastructure. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, but which companies have you guys invested in and, and where do they fit into those three categories? Yeah, they're almost all in the financial services category. Um, mm -hmm. I would say one of them straddles financial services and consumer bridges. But um, so our first investment was um, leading the Series A for Misari. That's a, a popular crypto data, um, market data and news aggregation service. And for us, it's not just the thing that you see as a consumer, but they have a really robust enterprise business, which they sell to crypto companies and companies looking to adopt crypto who need a single source of truth for what's going on in crypto land. It's almost like Bloomberg plus Broadridge, and they build it into their operational system. So that was our, our first investment. Uh, the second investment was in a company called ZeroHash. Um, ZeroHash mm -hmm. provides embedded crypto infrastructure, and that came directly from talking to fintechs and neobanks. And as we talked to all the fintechs and neobanks, they said, we want to add crypto, right? They saw Square, they saw Robinhood, they saw PayPal, and they said, we want to add crypto. And so ZeroHash is the player to power embedded crypto, crypto rewards, buy, sell, hold, and in the future, NFT staking and yield. Two investments were actually just announced this week. Yesterday, we announced an investment in a company called 24 Exchange. And that is a company that is pioneering 24-7 trading. Mm -hmm. um, they started with uh, NDFs, non-deliverable forwards for FX and crypto. And that's um, one thing that we think banks are going to uh, adopt because they don't have to ever take custody of the coin if they're doing the, the non-deliverable forward. And they're moving into trying to make 
equity markets 24-7, you know, based on all of the experience they've had with FX and crypto. And then earlier this week, we announced a, a lead investment in a company called Massive. Um, this one I really is really interesting. Massive for um, app developers is providing a new monetization method. So right now you have either ads or a paywall. They're adding a third, um, which is pay with your spare compute. So for a consumer, it becomes, do you want to pull out your credit card and pay a dollar or two for this app? Or do you want to click a button and allow the app to run in the background when you're not using your computer, essentially for free? And what the Massive is doing in the background is uh, a combination of crypto mining and decentralized compute tasks that generate revenue, which they split with the developer. So on one hand, building the world's largest decentralized compute network, and on the other hand, giving app developers a way to monetize their apps and consumers a way to pay for free. So those are our first four crypto investments. Um, we have one that hasn't been announced yet that is in the DeFi space. It's actually not a DeFi primitive, but it is an infrastructure layer that sits above DeFi that will allow institutions to securely, safely uh, trade, uh, use DEXs and uh, yield generating protocols. So that that one hasn't been announced yet, but we're really excited about well, there that. There you go. You, you heard it here first, folks. Um, and the list will grow longer, Adam, and we'll have you back on in the new year to walk us through the additions to the family. Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're building at the firm? I think the easiest way is our website, p72.vc. That has a lot of our thematic work. Um, we're about to post our thematic document uh, or blog post on crypto. Um, it has our entire portfolio, and uh, that's probably the easiest place to get us. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Thanks so much, Frank. And uh, just wanted to say hi to my wife and, and kids as well. They've been along for this crypto journey as well. So give them a quick shout out. Nice. Thanks for listening, wife and kids. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Take it easy.